I don't have to account to you for anything I do. I don't have to account to anyone for anything I do. Welcome back to Quaid in Full, the podcast with all the fox to give about actor Dennis Quaid. I'm your host, Sarah DePunting, and I'm rating and reviewing every single audiovisual property in which Dennis Quaid has ever appeared. I'm still mired in 1978 this week as I contemplate Are You in the House Alone, a TV movie whose sexual politics are even more troubling than last week's The Seniors. But before I delve into today's all-too-familiar victim-blaming, let's get into some May-December celebrity shaming over at the QIF Oversight Committee. I neglected to mention in Episode 5 that one of the actors also appearing in our winning season was Ms. P.J. Souls, who played Riff Randall, among other late 70s, early 80s roles, like Carrie, in which she usually seemed to be wearing a ball cap and stripy socks, Souls has maybe one line in our winning season, and I considered mentioning her and then didn't bother. Fast forward to this past week, and the news that Dennis Quaid, 65, proposed to his 26-year-old lady friend, Laura Savoy. Twitter has been predictably snarky about this turn of events. I find the youth of the relationship the eyebrow raiser versus the youth of the bride, but everyone's an adult, and sometimes you really do just know, so mazel tov, who cares, it's not my money. But it's worth noting that before Ms. Savoy, before the model before her, before What's-It's-Buffington, and before Meg Ryan, Quaid was married for five years to P.J. Souls, who is five years older than Dennis Quaid. No, I am not Quaid's lawyer, although, and here's where I tell you that there are spoilers ahead, he should get a good one. Not for this prenup, although that too, I guess, but I actually mean his character in Are You in the House Alone is going to need an attorney. Quaid is playing Phil here, and after a troubling opening sequence, Phil's girlfriend Allison is trying to set her best friend Gail up with a guy named Steve. The matchmaking goes pretty well. It helps that Steve is played by Scott Columby, Tony in Caddyshack, and Barbara's squeeze Cliff Randall on the original One Day at a Time, and he's just as charming here as he was in those. But a post-double-date debate over the sexual ethics of Three Days of the Condor threatens to derail things. I still say she shouldn't have just let him sleep with her like that. She didn't just let him sleep with her. I mean, she was falling in love with him. She wanted him, too. That's not love. That's sex. What's wrong with that? Maybe it'll turn into love. She got what she wanted. Well, I wouldn't do it. What's that supposed to mean? Well, they were falling in love, and I still think it's beautiful. Gail, you could meet a stranger. Fall in love with him and go to bed with him in two days. Maybe. Three days. Enjoy those antediluvian attitudes about women's sexual agency and the Victorian idea that we are responsible for acknowledging and taming slash guiding men's urges, not men. Not only do those attitudes keep coming up here, they haven't really gone away 40 years later. Also, it took some willpower not to just quit this and go watch Three Days of the Condor instead. If you think I made the wrong call, at Quaid in Full Pod on Twitter. But nevertheless, I persisted, and fortunately, Steve's on Gail's side of the argument. Thus begins their relationship, and although they exchange I love yous with a hilarious quickness, I think they've known each other two weeks in the movie's timeline, 
whatever, despite the fact that everyone looks 27, this is supposed to be high school. But Gail's distracted. She's getting weird, heavy breather hang-up calls. Kids, ask your parents. Both at home and where she babysits. And some cretin is leaving stalker notes in her locker. And as you'll see in the visual aids, which are also on the Quaid and Fold pod Twitter account, he's a creeper with terrible grammar, as the first note reads, quote, I'm watching, comma, you. And nobody believes Gail. Elsa doesn't seem to like her so-called best friend much, so dismissive is she of her concerns as drama. So? Well, don't you think it's a little bit creepy? Don't be so dramatic. Somebody's watching you. He likes you. That's all it says. Uh Uh-huh. Nice normalizing of stalking, Allison. The school administration isn't any better, with Counselor Ellen Travolta doing the oh, I'm not blaming you except am I blaming you shuffle. Gail, you don't look like the kind of girl that would encourage this sort of thing, but I... That note says he's coming after me. Calm down. Calm down. Nobody is coming after you. Boys your age are all talk. Now, I can't help you unless we know who it is. Let's try to figure this out. Has there been anyone hanging around lately? Making remarks, that sort of thing? Think hard, Gail. Sometimes, without even realizing it, you might have been rejecting of a boy. You make it sound like it's my fault. Oh, no, no. It could be completely innocent on your part. Boys are very easily provoked. It's not your fault at all, except it totally is. Condescending, victim-blaming, terrible turtleneck, that scene's really got everything. Except any help for Gail. Even Gail's mom is too preoccupied with rebooting her real estate career, and too willing to shrug off Gail's moods as typical teenager bullshit, to listen until things really go really wrong. I think there's another interesting period piece movie in her story, as the mom is played by Blythe Danner with a certain high-strung flair that's probably more than the movie strictly requires, given that it's basically an after-school special about the cloak of privilege masquerading as a horror joint. And who is wearing said cloak? Red herrings abound in the early going, including Gail's ex-boyfriend E.K., who dumped her because she wouldn't put out, allegedly. Her photography teacher, maybe? Although the movie doesn't seem to see much wrong with his telling a student, in class, to try a, quote, sexy self-portrait. Or with his being alone with her in a teeny dark room. Even Steve is momentarily cast in shadow when he's prickly about Gail's romantic past. But it's glib rich kid Phil who's responsible for the calls and the notes and who weasels his way into the house where Gail's babysitting to do a little talking villain. I really had you fooled, didn't I? Oh. Had you real scared. Phil, will you cut it out? Are you in the house alone? Drink. Pia, I I know all about you. You and Pastorini down at the lake. (laughs) I know what you like. I've been watching you a long time, Gail. Sending you notes, 
calling you, huh? I've been real patient. Yeah, well, I think you need help. What about Allison? Hey, leave Allison out of this, okay? I've waited for you. A weirdly shot sexual assault ensues. Gail lies to authorities for a while about who committed it, but finally breaks down and tells. Since we don't see Phil threaten her, her motivation for pretending she doesn't know her assailant is, for this movie, somewhat obscure, although I guess we could retcon it that trauma works strangely more often than not. Then we're reminded by her babysitting client, who's also a lawyer, that Gail has good reason to stay cagey, as reporting was even less worth it back in the day. You know who's not really on her side? Blythe Danner. But this is a difficult case, though, and there's some facts that we have to take into consideration. Their lawyers do have influence. Gail did let Phil in the door, plus the fact that she's not a virgin. Now, if we have to go to court, the defense attorney is going to make Phil look like a model student and Gail the seductress. She must have done something. Why did it happen to Gail? I can't believe you said that. And Gail didn't provoke the attack, and it doesn't make any difference what went on between them. Nothing justifies rape. I know that. I didn't mean it. Listen, I'm just as scared and frightened as angry as you are. And now what happens? Philip Lover walks around free, and I've got a child upstairs who won't even leave the house. First of all, sorry about the I am plink there. Uh, second of all, the scene seems to take place the same night, so I'm not sure how worried we have to be yet that Gail doesn't want to leave the house. Anyway, encouraged by a visit from her Russian emigre lit teacher, Gail returns to school. A subsequent confrontation with Allison actually has some good ideas in the dialogue about the ways a stain like Phil gaslights the people close to him into believing his version of events. But it's screechily overacted by Kathleen Beller as Gail, which is a shame because she's quite natural and real elsewhere. And Gail's able to enact a measure of justice when, realizing that Phil has moved on to another girl with a note campaign, Gail sets up her camera to take time-lapse photos of the other girl's locker and catches Phil in the act. This leads to a poorly acted and blocked brawl in an art supplies closet, but at least that leads to the arrest and ouster of Phil, and then to the credits. Are You in the House Alone is, for a TV movie of this era, actually not bad. It's got some likable, textured performances, and there isn't a lot of fat on it. Often in projects of this vintage, you see a lot of B-roll of characters driving, or unless establishing shots of school hallways between classes, and that's not the case here. The noxious attitudes towards victims of stalking and rape, i.e. that they are no such thing, are a strenuous sit, and I will freely admit that my overall take on this one is derived almost entirely from the fact that I had to watch it, and therefore any pleasant surprise that it was competent and efficacious may have caused some grade curving. Good is a strong word, but Are You in the House Alone is not uninteresting. In early scenes, look out for, one, that guy who looks like David Keith with a luxuriant 70s poof. It actually is David Keith in his first on-screen role. And two, that garish red plaid flat cap. That kid wears it in every scene he's in, and he's in a bunch. Good for you, garish red plaid flat cap kid. Alas, being viciously dated busts this movie down to a three. How quaidish is it, though? Let's hear clip five again. 
really had you fooled, didn't I? Oh. Had you real scared. Phil, will you cut it out? Are you in the house alone? Oh. Yeah, I know all about you. You and Pastorini's down at the lake. I know what you like. I've been watching you a long time, Gail. Sending you notes. Calling you, huh? I've been real patient. Yeah, well, I think you need help. What about Allison? Hey, leave Allison out of this, okay? I've waited for you. When we think of Pete Dennis Quaid, what is it exactly that we're thinking of? The wolfish grin, of course. The confident promise of a seduction, not particularly subtle, but still enjoyable. Culminating in sex that ends at dawn and leaves the hair smelling faintly of barbecue. There is a danger to that grin, but like not a real danger, mild danger, skinny dipping, going off your diet, driving on the shoulder. It's not genuine physical peril and it's certainly not felony assault. And when it's used for those things, near those things, to convey those things, it it feels wrong. Not morally wrong, although that too, but incorrect. Is the archetypal Quaid character a little sleazy? Probably. Phil is well over the line from that. This is a personality disorder. An actor whose brand-in-chief is consenting naughtiness with a side of reckless driving does not show well in a role that's evil. I guess I would call this the unquaidy valley, for lack of a better term, because it's both a two and a seven somehow. So I guess that leaves us at a four and a half. And that rating leaves us at the end of this episode. Next time, it's a cast of Jillian's in another TV movie, Amateur Night at the Dixie Bar and Grill. How amateurish? Looks like Don Johnson's going to try to sing. Sadly, not for the last time. In the meantime, check out the show notes for links to the film and some reviews. And follow the podcast on Twitter at QuaidInFullPod, where you can marvel at Quaid's Manson lamps or at me about the Unquaidy Valley. Wondering where your favorite Quaid joint is in the queue? Or want to advertise on a specific film or TV show's episode? DMs are open. Quaid in Full is written, edited, and hosted by me, Sarah D. Bunting. Don't subscribe yet? Well, you don't have to account to me for everything you do, but you don't want to miss breaking away. So throw me a sub wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review Quaid in Full so other people can find it. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next time. Oh, you're a real adult, aren't you?